Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Now, this is part two of our conversation with Rhonda Britton. If you haven't listened to part one entitled, How to Gain Life Skills to Live Fearlessly, please stop now. Do yourself a favor. Go back to that episode. It's just one episode back and listen to that one first. Now, as I mentioned in part one, this conversation was so powerful that it went a little long, so I thought it would be good to have it come out in two separate parts. Part two, the one you're listening to now, is our conversation entitled Overcoming Childhood Trauma to Live Fearlessly, and Rhonda shares her personal story of overcoming an amazing, jaw-dropping, frankly, I just, I don't even know how to describe it. You've got to listen to it. And I know that you're going to be inspired by what you hear, by her courage, and how this experience has shaped her work. Now, if you're not familiar with Rhonda Britton, she is an Emmy Award winner, repeat Oprah guest, and founder of the Fearless Living Institute, an organization dedicated to giving anyone the tools they need to master their emotional fears. She's the author of four national bestsellers, including Fearless Living, which features her groundbreaking work called The Wheel Technology. Now, during her three seasons on the hit daytime reality drama called Starting Over, Britain was named America's favorite life coach and was dubbed Starting Over's most valuable player by the New York Times. She is a globally recognized expert on the subject of fear and fearlessness. Okay, let's jump into part two of my conversation with Rhonda Britton. But I want to hear why you've gotten into this whole passion about fear. Like, what's the story behind this? Because, you know, you talked about kind of the sky opening up and a book being downloaded, but yeah. you know, there's there's got to be more to... Oh, passion. definitely. So yeah. give, me, give me a little history there. Definitely. You know, you talked earlier about... Um, thinking something's wrong with you. You know, I, I was going to be a minister, as I shared with you. I um, love God. God's awesome. And um, when I was 14, I had just announced to my parents I was going to be a minister. And um, my parents had recently separated. And um, it was Father's Day. And my father was coming over to take us to brunch. And I was pretty excited. I hadn't seen him for a few months. And um, my parents were going through a difficult divorce, right? I mean, this is, this is in the nobody gets divorced phase of our world. Like you don't get divorced, right? Was faith so, a part of your family life? I yeah, assume, we went to or? church every Sunday. I, I actually started the youth group in my church. Uh, so there was no youth group. I started it. So yeah, I sang every, every in the choir. I sang every solo in the church. I sang at every uh-huh. wedding, right? So the church was definitely a huge part of my upbringing. Yeah. And um, so, you know, me to say I'm going to be a minister, I was, I was that girl who would knit, knit scarves and then stuff the box with Jesus pamphlets. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's unusual uh, to think that you would be a minister as a female in that time period. Like that's, oh, that's a unique thing. That's right. My mother, I remember my mother, because my mother always used to say to me, well, you're going to be a minister's wife because I love oh, the church. Oh, man. So much. She goes, you're going to be a minister's wife and you're going to be in charge of the choir. Because remember, I was in the choir. I sang every solo, right? So she goes, you're going to be the choir director and you're going to marry a minister. And then, like I said, three to four months before this uh, event I'm about to share with you, I said to my mother, I'm going to be a minister. And I remember her saying, oh my gosh, you're going to be a minister? Yeah. I mean, she was so proud wow. that I would have the courage to even claim that, right? Yeah. To even say that I was going to be doing that. Yeah. 
uh, and then it was, you know, so a few months went by, told my mother, told my father that I'm going to be a minister. Um, so I was feeling really, I would say that that was the happiest time in my life because I was mm-hmm. so connected to God and so feeling like I was on my right path. You know, yeah. like I, I, I know what, who I am and I know what I'm going to do per se at, at 14 years old, of course. And um, it was Father's Day. My father comes over to take us out to brunch. We grew up in a little tiny town and, you know, go out to brunch. So, you know, three kids, two adults, five people. That's a lot of money. Um, and, but this was a special day. So my mother made me a brand new dress. My mother sewed all of our clothes and my father comes in cause he's staying at his mother's house, you know, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. My two sisters are fighting it out in our one bathroom. Mm. And, uh, my mother is looking at me like, be nice to your dad. And I'm like, okay. Mm. And so me and my mom start walking out. My sister's still in the bathroom fighting it out. Mm. And my dad says, let me go get my coat from the car. Cause it started mm. sprinkling. And this coat was a tan Naga Hide leisure suit coat. I don't know if you're, if you're old enough to remember Naga Hide fake leather. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother with her beehive hairdo. Mm. Uh, and so my mom and I start walking out. My dad opens his trunk to get uh, his coat. And my sister's still in the bathroom fighting it out. Mm. And uh, as my, sister, my mother and I walk out of the house, my father with the trunk open doesn't grab a coat, but he grabs a gun and he starts screaming, this is your fault, this is your fault, and he fires, and he shoots my mother. And I start screaming, what are you doing, Dad? What are you doing? Stop. And he cocks the gun, and he points it at me. And I absolutely think I'm next. Uh, My father strangled me when I was 12, so I absolutely thought he was going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And then with... My mother's literal last breath, she screams, no, don't. My father, realizing my mother is still alive, takes that bullet intended for me and shoots my mother a second time. Mm. And that second bullet goes through her abdomen, out her back, lands in the car horn. And for the next 20 minutes, all I heard was, "Eh." and then my father comes right next to me. Like literally he slid. It was, I think about it today and it's just, can't believe how, graceful he was he he cocked the gun while he was running landed on his knees put the gun to his head and fired Mm. so in a matter of two minutes probably two minutes I was the sole witness of watching my father murder my mother and commit suicide in front of me Mm. and you know the first thought that went through my brain in that moment well you know the minute the the side the deafening silence uh happened and I was still alive and my parents were dead or I didn't know it at the time um, but bleeding, uh, in front of me, uh, with bullets, um, is this is a really big test God, you know, God doesn't, mm. and then, you know, the thought God doesn't give you a test that you can't meet. Right. Mm. And, uh, this first thing that went through my brain, this is a test from God. God doesn't give you a test that you can't, mm. you know, overcome. And I remember thinking to myself, this is too big of a test God. And I ran into my mother's room, got on my knees and prayed to God and said, please, God, please, God, keep my mother alive. And I will do your bidding. I will be a minister. I will live my life for you. But if, if she doesn't, I don't, I don't know if I can. Hmm. And so my parents did die. And I basically, I never got mad at God. I just put God over there, right? Like, because he does he he no too big of a test i'm 14 years old for god's sake right mm. so i put god over there i stayed over here and um basically put a line between the middle of me and god mm. and um 
for the next 20 years, I... How did, where did you go to live? You had we two, stayed, you had two we other st- sisters? We stayed in that house, David. How were your sisters? I was 14. One was seven. One was just had turned 18. I was 14 and my little sister was 13. And nobody came. Nobody helped us. Relatives didn't help us back then. There was no, uh, you know, uh, victim funds or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is an example of my relatives. And again, I love my relatives and I forgive my relatives and I understand that they didn't know what to do either. Again, they didn't have any skills. They had zero skills. Mm. Um, There was no skills where I grew up or in our family. Yeah. So, but example is my uncle just a few years ago said to me, Rhonda, where did you girls live after that? No. And I go, uncle, yeah, I go, uncle, I lived in that, we lived in that house for two years. Well, I called once. Oh my goodness. But this is, this is, this is, this is where we lived. This is Mm. the time we lived in and this is where we lived. So, you know, I was a straight A student. Like I said, I was a choir soloist. Um, all those things. I mean, I was still straight A student afterwards, but I basically became the daughter of that family, right? I was became that family, right? And so if your father kills your mother, then there's something wrong with you too. Mm. And my mother had told me growing up all the time, you're just like your father. So I, David, I actually became afraid of myself. Yeah. I was petrified of yeah. myself. Yeah. I was petrified of feeling. I was petrified of getting angry. I was petrified to have feel. I was petrified of me mm-hmm. because if my father could kill and my mother kept telling me I was smart like my dad and I'm just like my dad, then um, I don't know what I'm capable of. Sure. And I think this is true for so many people that I remember feeling for so many years that, you know, they're like, oh, you just need to get your anger out. And I'm like, uh, if I got angry, I would destroy the world. Yeah. Now, logically, I know that's not true, but that's how it felt inside of me. Right. It felt like I would destroy the world. So what is a person who's stuffing their feelings and denying all this horrible stuff that happened to them? Um, I started drinking in college, uh, became an alcoholic, uh, tried to kill myself three times, got three DUIs. Mm. Um, and, uh, I assume that the suicide, uh, you, you, you say that, you know, like you, you just like, Hey, I tried to kill myself three times. (laughs) Well, Oh, okay, cool. Like, you know I mean? Like those are three seasons of life that were just full of depression, I assume, and just utter hopelessness. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, for 20, I think for 20 years after my parents died, uh, their death overshadowed everything, Mm. right? Because I didn't save them. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the only one out there, David, and I did not kick my dad. I did not grab the gun. I did not step in front of my mother. I did nothing to save her. And that guilt and that shame and that embarrassment and humiliation and all the things you want to name it was who I thought I was, right? Because I didn't save my mother, I absolutely didn't deserve to be happy. And if you remember, I was the happiest I'd ever been before they died. So also happiness was a trigger for me that Mm -hmm. something bad was about to happen. Mm -hmm. So if I even allowed myself to be happy for a second, then something bad was about to happen. Otherwise, you can't be happy anyway because you watched your mother die. You don't get to be happy. You didn't save her. That's not for you. Sure. Did you now tell my, this story? 
like in those 20 years or did you are you crazy are you crazy david yeah i just i assume you you yeah it's not like (laughs) hey uh you meet you know you meet a potential partner hey by the way this what happened to my family god no david no 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 you know i remember the very first time i said it out loud to somebody and then i said it out loud to a group i remember i remember very distinctly those first times but for most of my life for those 20 years um you know, I would never talk about my parents, one. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody brought up parents, especially in college, um, I'd be like, oh, they're both past, you know, or like, where do your parents live? You know, oh, they're both past. Oh, both of them? They'd be like, yes. I go, they'd always say this, always, David, accidents, car accidents, you know, an accident. Uh, and, I mean, because they both died, right? So right, they always right. assume accident. Right. Um, an accident. And I always go, yes, an accident. And yeah. then in my brain, because I can't lie, David. Yeah. I, I literally cannot lie, you know, so, so what I do in my brain in that moment, I used to go like, well, my father accidentally bought a gun and he accidentally loaded it and he accidentally shot my mother and he accidentally killed him. Like, like I would tell myself, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because I could not say, oh yeah, no, my father murdered my mother and committed suicide when I was 14 and I was the only witness, yeah. you know, people would be like this. Yeah. Well, I that kind of ended the party. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and when I did start sharing it even a little bit, um, you know, 90% of the time in the beginning, because I didn't know how to share it. Mm-hmm. Um, people got worried about me or, mm-hmm. or, or people were in their shit about it. Excuse my language, you mm-hmm. know, in their crap about it, they were triggered. So right. they were upset. Right. So then I ended up taking care of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I was either taking care of them, which was exactly what happened on the day they died. I actually went skating that night. I went skating every Sunday this was a Sunday. So I decided to go skating and all my friends came of course, and they didn't know I was going to be there. And then all of them cried and were like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Dad. And I sat on the bench holding them all and saying, it's okay. Wow. So, you know, so I had to learn, it took me 20 years. And that third suicide attempt, David, I realized, uh, I'm not very good at killing myself and I got to figure out another way. And that was really when I said to myself, I have to start over. I have to literally start at the beginning. I do not know how to be me. I don't even know who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started with a bunch of gold stars and a calendar. And I went back to kindergarten. I actually said to myself, David, what would I do if I was in kindergarten? Ah. And I got a, 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 a calendar, gold stars. And I actually have it in my office right now. I still have it, which I'm so, so proud of. Um, and I wrote down anytime I did anything good, anything at all, and put a gold star next to it because I had to find out if I was worth saving. Mm. And the things, David, on that calendar are like, got angry, but didn't, you know, but didn't destroy anything, yeah, you didn't, know. Didn't punch uh, him in the throat. Yeah. Um, felt rejected, but wasn't devastated, mm. you know. Um, went to my... Uh, you know, counseling session, uh, said I was hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And I did for, for 30 days. And after 30 days, I had a, a calendar full of stars and I knew David that I had hope that there was hope for me, that I, mm-hmm. that there was hope for me. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously over the many years past that you've developed, uh, this life calling and message to yes, help absolutely. people. And with what you call fearless living. So what does it mean to live fearlessly? What does that mean to you? Uh, well, I always say fearless living isn't about jumping out of a plane. It's about jumping into life, right? It's be willing to face yourself, i.e. love yourself, care for yourself, nurture yourself, 
discover yourself. Um, fearless living really is about how to understand yourself so that you know how to process fear and move into your wholeness, move into a sense of freedom for yourself. So that for me is fearless living because once you understand how you process, and that's really, I focus on, on that a lot. Once you understand how you process information, once you understand how that works for you individually, because everyone's different, then you have a choice inside of that process to stop it at any time. Once you're awake to it, you can stop it. Mm -hmm. When you're not awake to it and you're beating yourself up, you just beat yourself up some more because you shouldn't beat yourself up, right? Yeah. Or if you're feeling rejected, you don't know how to switch that because you think I shouldn't feel rejected. I see that now I'll just stuff it and forget it. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't stuff. We don't ignore. We don't run. We don't, you know, we don't disengage. We actually have another pathway, which is again called the wheel of freedom. So for me, fearless living really is about uh, deeply being willing to love yourself, embrace yourself, trust yourself, uh, build the skills necessary for you to live the life your soul intended. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I know that you have a resource that you want to make available for people to help them begin to develop some of these resources. Um, what is it and how would it benefit them? Oh, absolutely. I would be happy to. This is such a, I, I want to give them something called stretch, risk, or die. Yes. Oh stretch, risk, or die, David. Okay. <laughs> Because as you're moving through fear, you're going to have to stretch, you're going to have to take risks, and there are going to be times that you feel like you're going to die, but trust me, you won't. And I'm actually going to teach you the process of how to basically put your to-do list away and start taking action from using this model called Stretchers Can Die. So you can start seeing why you don't do A, B, and C. So, you know, everybody has that to-do list, right? David, on scale, you know, they have 10 things on their to-do list. And everybody does one, two, three, four, five, skip six, skip seven, do eight, nine, skip 10, right? And then you put six, seven, and 10 on the next day to-do list, right? And it's like, I'm going to do those today. And then it skips again, right? It keeps skipping. And then you beat yourself up. Why don't I do this? What's my problem? Why, why, why? Well, Stretchers Can Die is going to explain the why. It's going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about fear in this course. And you're also going to learn a method to start being able to take action that you want that maybe you've been frozen about, you know, frightened about, fleeing from, you know, the freeze, fight, flight, and fright, you know, right? So starting to move beyond that so that you can actually start taking action to live the life your soul intended. So this is really going to shatter uh, your perception of it being your fault and okay. give you a tool, and more than one tool, actually. And it has also templates and sh- uh, worksheets that you can use so that you're going to start having an understanding about how you work. Awesome. Stretch, risk, risk or, or die. die. And they can get that at fearlessliving.org forward slash risk. Fearlessliving.org slash risk. And we'll, of course, make that in the show notes. If you're watching or listening on your Apple uh, podcast app, you can swipe up and it'll be right there, the link in the show notes. Or you can go to our website if you can't get that. And we'll have all that in the show notes. Fearlessliving.org forward slash risk. Rhonda, this has been amazing. You are a rock star. Oh, you are so yeah. kind. Yeah, and um, I love your glasses. I love the <laughs> I love the artwork behind you is amazing. Thank you. Thank last you. question. Last question. What is the um, tattoo on your left wrist, and mm. why did you get it? Yes. Oh, it fearless. fearless! It says fearless. fearless. It says fearless. And I just actually got it a few years ago. Okay. And um, I was I was I was very ill 
uh, over the holidays and uh, it was New Year's Eve and my one of my dear friends came over and said, come on, you know, I'm going to go get a tattoo. And I've been thinking about getting a tattoo, but but I'm not a tattoo person. I mean, I'm from sure. upper Michigan, upper Minnesota, so you yeah. know, I don't do that. Um, and uh, so uh, she goes, you know, I haven't been out for like a week because I've been sick. And so I go to the tattoo parlor with her. And And by the way, don't go to a tattoo parlor unless you're willing to go get a tattoo, right? <laughs> so I had been thinking about this tattoo and I'd actually been writing it on a napkin and thinking about what I'd want it to look like. So I was actually yeah. in the creation state. Okay. okay. So then my friend comes over and goes, let's go. And I'm like, okay. And I, next thing I know, I have a tattoo, but, but it was so funny, David, this is the funny part about it is when I'm leaving, the guy goes, well, see you next time. And I said, uh, no, um, one, I don't do tattoos and I'm never getting another one. This is already freaky that I have it fearless. And I have it on my wrist because, you know, I've tried to kill myself many times. Uh, so I want to remind myself to stay alive. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so at, so he goes, um, he goes, uh, yeah, but nobody has one tattoo. And I went, what? So I go to bed that night, David, and his words are in my brain, like nobody gets one tattoo. And I, and I thought to myself, well, if I did get a second tattoo, sure, what sure. would I get? And David, I have letters that my mother wrote. Um, so I have her handwriting. Uh -huh. So I have decided, and I don't know when I'm going to do it. I haven't done it uh, since I got this tattoo. It's been a couple of years. I haven't felt moved to do it, but I do know if I do get another tattoo, I'm going to take the words, uh, letters um, in my mother's letter and, uh, you know, trace them mm -hmm. and I'm going to trace the words. I love you, mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think about if I had that tattoo, I love you. That would be pretty amazing in my mother's handwriting, but I haven't felt moved to do it yet, but that is my next tattoo. David. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiring us to live uh, fearlessly. Oh, thank and you, uh, we'll make sure that everybody finds their way to your website, fearlessliving.org slash risk. So thank you, Rhonda. You're welcome, David. Thank you. I know you've been inspired by part one and part two of this conversation with Rhonda Britton. And as you've been listening, I know that some people's faces and their names have popped into your mind People who you know would be inspired and encouraged by what Rhonda has shared here today. So do them a favor and spread the word about these two episodes on the Inspiration Rising podcast. All you have to do is tell them to search Inspiration Rising on the Apple or Google podcast app that's already on their phone, or you can take a screenshot and send it to them, or tell them to check out the website at insporising.com. Now, if you're not already following us on social media, you can find us on all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, at insporising, I-N-S-P-O-R-I-S-I-N-G. All right, I think you guys are amazing. I want to encourage you, if this really resonated with you, maybe you want to listen to it again because Rhonda's wisdom is incredibly powerful. Okay, until next time. Have a wonderful week.